Anton Bruckner's early symphonies don't get much of an airing in the concert hall. There's an idea still prevailing that it took him quite a while to find the architectural concept of the symphony he was looking for, the basis for his so-called cathedrals of sound. According to this view, it wasn't really till the Fifth Symphony that Bruckner finally got it broadly right. Actually, the truth is a lot less clear-cut and much more interesting than that. Before we get to the Second Symphony, though, the one we're hearing tonight, let's take a quick look at the official Symphony No. 1. It is a remarkable, and in some ways, remarkably successful piece. It's the kind of work you might expect from a composer at the start of his symphonic career who's been deeply impressed by Mendelssohn. It gets off to quite a lively beginning. Forget what you know of Bruckner, especially of Bruckner's beginnings. There are no misty string tremolos, no solemn portentous leading motifs. In fact, it's a fast march. It even sounds a bit impatient to get going. distinctive Bruckner fingerprints there, especially those repeated figures on the strings. The first symphony already shows some of the harmonic exploratory tendencies that are so typical of later Bruckner, the restless probing, searching for a tonal bass. You can tell that he's a composer who deeply admires Wagner's Tristan und Isolde, yet it's by no means simply imitative. the beginning of the slow movement of Bruckner's first symphony. Remember, this is 1866, ten years before Brahms's first symphony was completed. Bruckner's first is a bold, exuberant and highly original symphony. He could have gone on in a similar vein, enriching and developing, and if so, his course might have been a little smoother. He may not have encountered the resistance, the mockery and neglect that beset him for the best part of two decades after the first symphony. But something happened about the time that Bruckner was finishing his first symphony. Bruckner was already an admirer of Beethoven, but just as he was completing Symphony No. 1, he heard Beethoven's Ninth, the Choral Symphony, for the first time. 
This was an experience just as overwhelming as encountering Tristan the previous year. In Beethoven's Ninth, the grandeur, the apocalyptic intensity and impassioned humanity were quite different from anything in his earlier symphonies. There was also a different time scale. Almost immediately, Bruckner set to work on a new symphony that would draw on what he'd learnt. This was the symphony he later revised and half acknowledged as his Symphony Number no. Nought. But the next effort was a big advance. We can sense Bruckner's search for a more spacious kind of symphonic thinking in the very beginning of the Second Symphony. The tempo marking was originally quite fast, but Bruckner later changed it to moderato, which may be significant. It's as though Bruckner's wanted to calm down some of the nervous impetuosity of the First Symphony. Certainly, it's a very different kind of theme. something else interesting about that beginning, something which also shows Bruckner attempting maybe to calm down his initial impetuosity, or at least take a different perspective on the main fastish tempo. We were going along at a reasonably comfortable one, two, three, four, when in came those trumpets with a slightly strange dotted triplet rhythm. Da, 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 da. At the height of the next big crescendo, that rhythm returns more emphatically this time. Now that brass rhythm on one repeated note is not so much a one, two, three, four as a broad swinging one, two, one, two. So we have a suggestion here of different kinds of pulse or speed at the same time. That's something that's very typical of the later Bruckner. However fast the music may seem on the surface, in the background we get an impression of another, more measured, meditative kind of movement, as at this point here. The emergence of that broader swinging figure has an interesting effect. It saps the momentum of the first theme. We can sense it running out in the little repetitive figures on woodwind. Ah, 
A pregnant pause follows. There are quite a few of those in Symphony No. 2, especially in the finale. It's the sort of thing that, at the Viennese premiere in 1873, earned it the not entirely affectionate nickname of Die Pausen-Symphonie, the Symphony of Pauses. Here, as at several points in this symphony, Bruckner takes a breath and then starts again, with a new theme. It's a charming, relaxed, strolling figure, but at first it seems disconcertingly far away from what we've already heard. So, in this first movement of Bruckner's Second Symphony, we started at a relatively mobile pace. Then that trumpet rhythm challenged that sense of fluid mobility. Then we had the pause, and then we seemed to wake up somewhere else, in a different scene, a different mood, a different perspective. There are quite a few changes like this in the first movement, and at significant points that trumpet rhythm returns, almost like a signal to warn us not to be too impatient. Bruckner almost seems to tease us. He begins his coda, for instance, with an obvious tribute to Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, an ominous build-up on falling and rising tremolando string figures. we have another of those pauses, just when we seem to be building up so nicely. There are a few slower, tentative bars, the opening theme gropes about confusedly for a moment, and if you're new to this symphony you may be feeling a little bit confused too. But then comes the final fortissimo, and that trumpet fanfare rhythm is triumphant in the texture. It almost seems to be saying, I told you not to expect this to go too fast. Well, at least there's no doubt this is the end this time. This isn't another of Bruckner's spectacular pauses. 
When you hear this for the first time, it can be confusing and frustrating, as I said, and it was for me the first time I encountered Bruckner's Second Symphony. But as that great writer on music, Donald Francis Tovey, put it, if you don't expect a Bruckner symphony to go like a classical symphony, the rewards can be considerable, especially if you're able to tune into that slower, more thoughtful, measured, calmer pace in the background. It expresses something very special, something unique to Bruckner. Mind you, you may have heard people say things like that before. I still haven't explained what it is. I think this will become clearer in the second movement, the slow movement. No doubt this is a true slow movement this time. It begins with a string theme marked solemn. It's hymn-like, but there are also lush sonorities and harmonies, and after just three and a half bars comes a mysterious break in the hymn-like continuity. That hymn-like figure returns later. Yet again comes that breaking continuity when we're left with just the bass instruments for a moment. That's so Bruckner. It means our desire for that idea to flow on intensifies each time that theme returns and the movement progresses. But eventually comes a kind of revelation. Four years before Bruckner started work on his second symphony, in 1867, he was recovering from a severe mental breakdown. Bruckner was sure that what helped him more than anything else was the completion of his last, and many would say his greatest, setting of the Roman Catholic communion rite, the Mass in F minor. Listening to music like this, you can sense the personal involvement in the prayer, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. That figure is hinted at in the slow movement of the Second Symphony. Then after the strangely inconclusive climax, it returns again, this time to blossom, leading to the hymn-like theme at last, flowing forward in even more gorgeously transfigured harmonies.
at last the hymn flows forward. It leads into a very touching coda, with a final elevation of the hymn theme, rather like the lifting of the sacrament during Mass. Getting to this point is a process that has involved hesitations, pauses, and occasionally frustrating changes in direction. But stay with it, and I feel the ending justifies it all. The final uplift is all the more satisfying because it releases a long-accumulated tension. Or, as the composer and Bruckner authority Robert Simpson put it, Bruckner's music doesn't just demand patience, it actually expresses it. <laughs> There are no such problems in the scherzo third movement. Bruckner rarely had problems with his scherzos. The rhythms and contours of upper Austrian dance music were saturated in his soul. He'd been deeply involved with them in his youth. It expresses a different kind of pulse of life, a more worldly one this time, but one to which Bruckner was clearly very well attuned. <laughs> It's a very different matter when we come to the finale, however. Finales were often the movements that caused Bruckner most headaches. Even in the fourth symphony, where the first three movements are absolutely magnificent, the finale seems to struggle, to hesitate, to lose its way. What happens here? Well, the finale of the second symphony does get off to quite a promising start. in that driving triplet theme at the high point of the crescendo of how deeply Bruckner loved the music of Schubert. There are echoes there of Schubert's great C major symphony, especially the finale, which is driven by similar triplet figures. But where in the Schubert this creates a mighty, unstoppable onward flood tide, Bruckner, even more than in his first and second movements, is back to the habit of pausing and to those dislocated changes of direction. You may feel that in this finale the background pace, the careful, patient building to the final climax, is a bit more intermittent. And in moments like this, for instance, you definitely get a where-are-we quality.
Moments like that can be baffling the first time you hear this music, but stick with this finale and the end does bring a sense of release and resolution, with the finale theme combined very effectively with the first movement's triplet fanfare. Bum, dum, bum, da-dum, dum, 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 da-dum. I said effectively. Maybe that isn't quite a ringing endorsement, and I will admit that this isn't Bruckner's most overwhelmingly triumphant conclusion. He got better at those with the years, without doubt. But still, there's an unusual sense of squaring the circle at the end of Bruckner's second symphony, and in the first three movements there's a sense of something else too. What is it? Well, the motto could be Nietzsche's famous line about how one becomes what one is. The becoming process isn't quite complete in Bruckner's Second Symphony. He isn't absolutely his own man yet. But you already sense that what is becoming here is going to be unlike anything else in symphonic music. Stephen Johnson, Discovering Music, was produced by Megan Jones.